Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening. How y'all doing? Midway through the week. All right. Hope you're all focusing, importantly, more importantly, on rest, joy and pleasure, and self-care. That's right. It's not too late. Every single day. Tap into some joy and pleasure, rest, rest, rest. Got a great show planned for you. We're gonna be talking about dating. Yes, how we tend to date from our egos and not with the best perspective that keeps us having the ability to meet some good people. Also gonna be talking about representation and uh, the SIA controversy, as well as talking about a new thing called boomerang kids. Yep, that'll be later in the show. Stick around and figure that out. Great stuff in the news. Let's talk about something sad. A gay man was shamed by someone on Grindr because he said he was only looking for friends. And they were mocking him, saying, you know, this isn't for that. Um, it, it was horrible what was said. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because, remember, these a lot of these dating apps, um, some of them are specifically for dating. But apps like Grindr have options where you're looking to network, make friends, just have sexuality, date. Um, people have all different sorts of needs and let's not mock someone because they're lonely, sad, or feeling disconnected. Maybe this person moved to a new city. Maybe they're new to the country. Maybe they lost friends for whatever reason, but why are we mocking someone who's looking to make friends? Wait a minute. Why are we mocking someone? <laughs> That's cyberbullying. Like it's so fascinating. People's need to comment negatively on things that have no impact on them or their life. Why did you need to say that? I think that all the time with people's comments on some of my tweets or social media posts, If it isn't something that you liked or made sense to you, keep scrolling. You don't need to put every negative thing you're thinking. No one cares. Honestly, I don't care. He didn't care. But what you do is you impact people's negative health, negative health. Excuse me. What you do is, I've had a lot of caffeine. It's been a long clinical day. What you do is you negatively impact their mental health and also yours. And yes, we are responsible for how we impact other people. A hundred percent. Mental health is shown based on how we treat those around us and the quality of our relationships. That's so unfortunate. This poor person is lonely, and you know what you did? You made them feel lonelier and even more disconnected. Shame on you. Let's be better. There was no read. There was no need to swoop in with such frustration and disappointment. And also, looking at the conversation, this person was bummed out because I think they wanted more. But that can sometimes happen. Friendship can sometimes lead to romance. So let's just be better about that. That consistently stuff like that bums me out. Um, All right, other stuff going on in the news. Uh, Joe Biden remains committed to giving non-binary Americans gender-neutral passports. Yeah, I mean, the whole reason why we put gender on the passport was to try to understand, identify the person who's in front of us when we're looking at their passport. And so the option should reflect who people are and who's in front of you. It doesn't make any sense to squeeze people into two options only, male or female, right? If that's not who they are and that's not how they present. 
Like, let's live in truth. Let's live in honesty. There are more genders and sexes than male and female, boy or girl. There are a multitude of genders. And passports should reflect that, especially people that don't participate in gender and are non-binary or non-gendered or fluid. And so we're moving towards that whole X category, third gender neutral marker, which is kind of a catch-all for something outside the binary because that's, that's where we are right now. And I'm glad Biden's on, on, on hand with that because that's a mental health issue. Having your documentations, which in government legitimize who you are, reflect who you are. And as I will keep saying, institutions need to meet people where they're at. People shouldn't be squeezing into these arbitrary institutions. There's no, there's nothing, change it, just change it. Very easily done. There's no reason to not update driver's license, birth certificates, passports. It's not a big deal. It's an institution. People mean more and should come first. I say that about everything. People should come before jobs. People should come before money. It shouldn't be acceptable anymore in our culture that a father or a mother or a caregiver misses out on their son's soccer game because they had to work. No, work less, prioritize your family, prioritize your relationships. I know that's a privilege for a lot, but we need to work towards building a world that can happen, giving people shorter working hours, shorter working weeks, pay them a living wage. Honor that family comes first. Shame on bosses that expect people to put work first. That's toxic capitalism, that's a mess. That should never be. I try to, anyone who works for me or with me, I always try to say, yeah, of course, take that time off. Come in late, that's your family, that's your best friend. Yes, that means more. Yes, that's your mental health. So I'm calling on all bosses and people in positions of power, prioritize mental health. People should be able to call out of work because they're anxious or depressed. People should be able to ask their workloads lightened because they're having a mentally dysregulated month, week, or day. People should be able to prioritize a family member's soccer game or birthday or a childbirth. That is what life is about. Life is not about us just making money for other people. Life is not just about work, work, work. We need to change that. If you want to read more, actually, I have an entire chapter on it in my book, Rebel Love, funny enough. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say that. That needs to change. I love all the new changes coming. And we're going to talk about this later in the show, but more to come because there's a study showing one in six Gen Z adults are LGBTQIA. We'll talk about that later in the show, so stick around for that. I'm here for it. I love stuff like that. We have to get familiar with that. And finally, I want to just, as a public health professional, remind you all, we are still in a pandemic. Please continue to follow social distancing and wear masks. It is hurting my heart when going on social media and seeing people in photos around groups indoors with no masks, no distancing, as though we are not in a pandemic and as though your behavior doesn't impact others. It's awesome that you are confident enough where you don't care if you get infected, but you have the capacity of spreading it to others and that is not okay and that is not awesome. So remind ourselves to do better. All right, coming up next, Talk about dating, all the pitfalls, and the ways we can get around them. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back and we're talking about dating, dating, uh, gosh, dating. <laughs> we're talking about dating, but we're talking about dating perspectives. Um, <clears throat> you know, when I'm, when I'm working with an individual or even when I'm out in the world, I'm always listening for the dating style right, that someone occupies and utilizes. And what that means is uh, both the behaviors they engage in, the mindsets that they have, their perspectives on dating, and also just looking at if that's aligned with their goals. And there's a lot of interesting research, and this is coming out of people that work in both um, relational psychology, people that work in marital and relational therapy, people that work in behavioral sciences, 
And a lot of it is coming research that's coming out of use of the apps, because again, regardless of how we feel about them, they're a major source for people meeting others. And, you know, again, quick brief on that. I'm glad we have the apps because you are able to date people from places that are far beyond where you might have access to or where you might see them. Long gone is the time when we only <clears throat> had access to the people that a friend could introduce us to or that we can meet maybe locally at a bar or an event. And if you're of any kind of uh, sexual minority, right, then it's even harder because most spaces cater to uh, the hetero romantic dating experience. And if you're not hetero in any form, you have to find spaces where that's both able to be accommodated, where there's a concentrated amount of sexual minorities, and also where it's safe, right, to hit on, to court, to flirt with, and to really embody your identity. And that's why some people, that's why dating apps are amazing. Because again, think back to the time and gosh, I've watched a couple documentaries on this where people that were not hetero would have to drive at times hours to a gay bar to meet individuals that are non-binary, trans, queer, gay, lesbian. And that's really unfortunate, right? Because that's not a lot of immediate access. And then they are also limited by who else is there in general and also that night. And how hard might it be to date someone who drove hours as well, but in the opposite direction, right? Thereby doubling, maybe, the distance. And that's rough. Dating apps now allow us, along with technology, to maintain connection and to reach out and, and access people. So I'm very thankful for that. And again, you don't even have to be actively on it as long as you have an account that's on there and you can be um, still considered or connecting with people. So give it a try. There's, there's no longer a lot of shame around that. Although every now and then I hear people tell these funny stories about, you know, not, not acknowledging or owning up to meeting on an app. I don't know why there's any shame or guilt about meeting on an app. It's, <laughs> I, yeah, I really don't know why. Just maybe because it's not 100% normative in all circles, although it finally seems to mostly be. So <clears throat> learn how to utilize them. That's part of my work that I do with people in my office is help them learn how to use those apps most efficiently. And that's what we're going to kind of be talking about in, um, at least the next two segments is uh, how do we how do we date and do it in a way that really helps us achieve our goal. Now, the first thing I remember remind people is that we often have an ego list, and that's the list of the traits we think that our partner needs to have, and it's usually not coming from our best. Um, often, it's coming from our worst. It's coming from an ego when we talk about height and weight requirements, which can rule out large numbers of people. Age requirements. Um, which rules out a large number of people. People will pick an arbitrary starting point like, oh, I'll date as far as 43. And it's like, oh, well, that's a bummer because there might be a 45-year-old that's absolutely perfect for you. Or, you know, these arbitrary height requirements, which someone's height has literally nothing to do with anything about their ability to be a compatible uh, partner and the level of chemistry that can exist. That's just, you know, prejudice around height. And same thing with weight. Um, all sorts of stuff, even gender expression, when people just completely in one swoop deny the possibility of being attracted to someone of a different race, gender expression, right? Or height or age. It's fascinating. And that's part of keeping ourselves single, right? And that's your choice. But we can't complain about singledom when we are putting arbitrary limits on the possibility of meeting someone great. You know, and I just saw it in a Sex in the City episode over the weekend, this past weekend, I had it on in the background. I just needed something that had like energy and, and kind of joy in it in the background. And I happened to tune in at this part where one of the characters, uh, Charlotte, I think she started dating um, someone who's shorter and bold and Jewish. And she's, you know, not Jewish. And she traditionally doesn't date men that are bald or shorter. 
And it was just such a beautiful thing to watch her step into truth, which is she, in fact, had an amazing connection with this amazing person and had great sexual chemistry, the best sex of her life, she said. But that's because she was open. And we have to be open. We have to be open to love appearing and compatibility and chemistry appearing in the forms that maybe we're not familiar with or even most comfortable with, you know, because that's, that's what love is about. And when we have this list of all these requirements, again, that's usually coming from our ego, how much money they need to make. It's like, none of that is what love is about. That's really capitalism seeking into our love lives that we're looking at. What do we get out of this, right? What can we gain? And we're trying to optimize. None of those words are psychologically driven and none of those words should apply to love. Love occurs when it occurs and the best we can do and what we are responsible for is laying the best conditions upon which love can happen. And so we do have to do things. It's not just something that is natural. We do have to create the conditions, just like we have to take down the walls and barriers that we throw up, right? Nothing in our world is natural anymore. Nothing, nothing at all is natural. Everything is now socialized and socially constructed and infused with ideologies and politics. And love is the same way. When I listen to someone explain to me the kind of partner they want, it's all woven in there, sexism, patriarchy, body shame, oftentimes racism, homophobia, all of this stuff as someone's describing what it is they want, they need, or what they're looking for. And our work is about dismantling all that to make the world better, but also to give ourselves the best opportunity to find what we're looking for. Because love does not always show up in the way we think we want it to or we need it to, right? And uh, some of the most amazing couples are the ones that from the outside don't make sense to us, right? And then we sadly hear people shame that you know the age gap is too great, so there's a power issue and all sorts of mess. And we've talked about that and we'll talk about that more, but we're gonna take a break and when we come back, we're gonna talk specifically about what are some of the uh, major uh, mindsets and uh, what things we need to be more conscious about. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. Alrighty, we're back and we're talking about dating. And, uh, Hopefully, you're reflecting upon this and having a really hard conversation with yourself saying, listen, I need to identify with some of the things being said and challenge myself, challenge myself to be better and to step outside this ego list of the things I think my partner needs to have, which are not rooted in anything that really speaks to chemistry or compatibility, right? It's rooted in a lot of prejudice and a lot of uh, my own lack of self-esteem and ability to just live in my authenticity and what is, you know? Love doesn't always show up in the ways that we think it needs to. And as we've talked about before, people sometimes move through the world with this idea of an imaginary audience. What would people think if I'm with someone uh, as, you know, I'm a female, they might say, and my husband's shorter than me. What will people think? People will think nothing. And if they do, is that your higher ethic? What people think in their comfort? Or is it about you finding a good partner and being in love and living a great life? Love cannot be in service of making other people happy. And people get hung up on someone's religion or their culture. Let all that go. Love doesn't show up that way and you're not there to make your family happy or comfortable. Their feelings and comfort don't matter around your partner choice. As long as your partner's a, a healthy, great individual that you want to be with. It's their job to support you, period. Um, but let's talk about some of the problematic ideas. So all of us move through the world with different perspectives and some of it can be collapsed down into two headings, soulmate or the you know ones willing to do the work. And we have to be willing to do the work, which means we are open <laughs> to difference, right? We're open to being changed. We're open to transformation versus this soulmate idea, which is very passive, that it's just going to happen and it should be perfect, right? And there's nothing disruptive. And if 
anything lets me down or anything disappoint, it disappoints me or anything's frustrated, well, then they're not right for me. That is, that is the perspective of someone who keeps themselves single. They over-idealize and romanticize perfection. Even when they say they don't, they do. And they bounce at the smallest infraction. To be in a long-term relationship is to do the work and stick around. It's to call to see them again, even if they've gone silent for a minute, just to make sure all's well, while honoring boundaries and consent, but not backing away the minute you have to step into your confidence. Um, being in a relationship is about ignoring our gender. And regardless of what your gender is, you still are willing to court and to flirt and to maybe hit on someone. We have to let go of these ideas that it's a specific gender's job to do that. Because a lot of people of the gender that we traditionally assume has to be the assertive one are no longer willing to do that or are incapable of doing that. We all have to be willing to put the work in. You can't just sit back passively waiting for people to come to you and approach you. You can't look for perfect. You can't run as soon as there's a frustration or disappointment. That is the soulmate, idealized, romanticized Disney version. That's not real. We have to be willing to do the work. We have to put effort in. I say that to all my clients. I don't care who they are, their gender or their age. You have to put effort in. Are you reaching out to them? Are you flirting with them? Did you get them a Valentine's Day gift? Did you hit on them when you were interested? Did you follow up? Did you reach out? Did you plan a date? Did you pay for the date? Right? We're in 2021. We're moving away from these old school sexist patriarchal, patriarchal ideas that the male presenting or, or butch person has to pay and ask us out and be the aggressive one. Nah, we're letting that all go. That keeps us trapped. Because again, if you're dating someone who's in that patriarchal sexist mindset, expect them to date from a patriarchal sexist mindset. And sometimes it might serve you because you can be passive, but it, you cannot then complain when it shows up in its shadow side, the darker sides, because that's who they are. So expect the dark with the light. That is no good. It's quite toxic. We want to be with people that are just about authenticity and equality and mutuality. And that might sometimes mean you have to step up. I loved it when my older brother, cis hetero guy said, it's absolutely important to me that in early dating, the girl initiates dates and, 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 and asks to pay or split the bill. He's like, I don't want to be responsible fully for someone. I'm an adult. I want to date an adult, a confident adult who doesn't live in those sexist patriarchal ideas. That's profound. But more importantly, we have to be willing to do the work. We, we often, and too many, too many people bounce the minute their confidence is on the line or they're feeling insecure or they're feeling a little let down, they have to be willing to hang in there. Dating's harder now, the tyranny of too many options. We think that a lot of options actually make it easier. No, we know from a lot of research and a lot of studies, it, it makes it quite harder. We get overwhelmed, we back away, we think there's always something better. We don't stick around, we don't do the work. I see so many people unwilling to stick around and do the work because they're like, there's always someone, there's always someone else coming around the corner until there no longer is. Or that doesn't even matter about that there being that many people that are available because you aren't willing to stick and work through with any of them. And that's where the attachment style stuff comes in. Some people are way too avoidant. The minute a person fully shows up and is present, they lean back and healthy people, healthy people keep going. When, you, when they lean in, you have to lean in. Or people that are anxious and you're enacting toxic forms of dating and monogamy all over them where you want monogamy immediately or you expect to be a priority too soon and you get upset when they put their friends or family first because they haven't really gotten to know you or you place really unrealistic demands on their time from the door, you know? And that all gets brought up in dating and that's why dating is such a beautiful way for us to learn where our work is. Constantly being shown where your wounds are, your soft spots, right? What our triggers are. We have to work on being better than that, pushing beyond that. We have to stay in there. 
That's the key to a long-term relationship. All right, we're going to talk more about this, but coming up next, we have to slide into those DMs. Drop them in our Loveline IG page. And if you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can always do it over at wearechannelq.com. Coming up next, DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, I have a question. I'm a gay man. And whenever I get intimate with another person pre-COVID, I like the qualifiers. It's true. It's necessary. Are we pre-COVID, post-COVID? Are we in the future? Are we, are we vaccinated in this story? I almost feel bad right after or even for a couple days afterwards. It's a really bad feeling. that I can't seem to get out of my head and I tend to overthink it constantly. I like to find a way to treat it because it's messing up my sex life and possible relationships that I might be able to develop with my partners. I was raised mainly by my mother who never had any sexual encounters and was always alone during my teenage years. Do you think that might have to do with it? Thank you so much and I really appreciate your work. Yeah, it's a good question. You know, uh, yes, the uh, messaging we get around sex and please know that someone having raised us with silence around sex is a message, right? Uh, Does impact the way we feel about ourselves as a sexual being. And so that's a commentary on on parents. You are giving your children a message about health as sex, whether it's healthy, shameful, whatever it is. And also our social groups. Because remember, our parents aren't our number one influencer. They're the original right? They're the, uh, yeah, they're the original, but everything we do after undoes or strengthens. And so if you come from a family that was really sex negative, it's important to surround yourself with sex positive people. You know, I wrote two books, Sex Outside the Lines and my newer one, Rebel Love, and they were both about people working on mental health, but more importantly, sexual and relational health and sex positivity. So my recommendations, read those books. You need to surround yourself with important material. We can't just change our thinking on our own sitting in our room. We also can't even just get into therapy and think one session a week is going to change our thinking. We need to be reading materials that reinforce and remind us who we want to be and how we want to think. We have to talk to our friends about those things. If you want to be more sexually confident, talk openly about sex with your friends. You know, let them know I'm working on being more sex positive. I want to talk openly about the sex I'm having, the sex I want. Like, let's be those kind of friends that normalize that talk and and strengthen our confidence because sex is nothing we need to sit in silence about. When we're talking about touch and engagement, consent is needed. Yeah. But in terms of conversations, there's nothing wrong with discussing sex openly in a sex positive way. And sex positive means in a uh, non-traumatic, non-aggressive, non-toxic, problematic way. But being sex positive means we can acknowledge that we are sexual beings, that sex happens, and there's nothing wrong with it. We We need to surround ourselves with that. Now, every family raises us in a sex positive family, a sex negative family, or a sexually anxious family. Sexually anxious family is they'll acknowledge sex, but they won't use the right words. They make up words for it. They'll say down there and they just, they won't even step in. And that makes us anxious. And that doesn't us give us the confidence or even the languaging to be able to talk about who we are. Sex negative is where they say, we don't even talk about sex in the family. It is bad and it's dirty. And then we move away thinking, oh my God, I should have shame about this. Sex positive family would be, yeah, that's your, that's your penis. That's your vagina. We use the right words. There's no reason to not. We don't, we don't have to drop our voices when we talk about that. People are sexual and it's age appropriate, right? And if it comes on television, the parents will pause and say, let's talk about what you just saw. And then the fourth, which is the worst, is sexually traumatic, where there is poor boundaries, sex is not consensual in the house, and it's problematic. 
But if you're raised in a sex negative or sexually anxious family, which is what most families in America and around the world are raised in, you have to do work as an adult in forming a new positive relationship with sex and your sexual body. So yes, it, it absolutely was in some part tied to your mom's experience of staying in silence and not making sex something that we acknowledge. Everything you've done after has reinforced that, and that's why you feel bad afterwards. You think you did something bad or wrong, but sex is good. Sex is fun. We, we have sex for fun. We have sex for entertainment. We have sex to make ourselves feel good. We have sex to build relationship, and you have to just normalize that and give yourself permission. So I think you need to have way more sex. Go have a lot of sex, and each time afterwards work through the self-talk saying what I did is okay, what I did is healthy as long as it's consensual, right? <clears throat> you have to experience that. Read my books. Tell your friends I want to talk more openly about sex. Follow some awesome sex positive stuff on social media to daily drop your psyche into that. And if at the end of the day you still can't resolve it, which all that I mentioned usually is good enough, find a certified sex therapist. Regular therapists are not trained in sex, sexology or sex therapy. Find a certified sex therapist and do the therapeutic work. It's worth it because you learn about yourself in general. You know, all right, y'all. That is that. Coming up next, I'm gonna talk about some new stuff we're seeing—a new study about LGBTQIA children as well as boomerang kids. It's a new phenomenon that's kind of born out of the economy, but also pandemic. Uh, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com. All right, we're back. Looking at uh, all the changes, I love it. Not all of them are, are traditional, not all of them are making people comfortable, but looking at a lot of movement in terms of identity, sexuality, uh, family. Um, here's some examples. Um, here it is, hold on one second, there it is. And this was, this was actually an article in The Atlantic. The new boomerang kids, changing American views of living at home. You know, historically, we saw moving back in with your family or living with your family into adulthood as a sign of failure to launch, irresponsible, primitive, immature. But we now know the government has led a lot of us down, and we have things like systemic racism and transphobia, and we don't create a just world where everyone has access to education and employment and healthcare. And so some people aren't able to go out and live on their own. Not that they ever should have to anyway. Not everyone wants to. Some people like being with their family. Some people don't want to live alone. But uh, right now we also know with stimulus checks that not everyone is getting their needs met. And so yeah, boomerang. Some people are circling back and moving home. What a great thing if you love your family and it feels good to you. Um, I don't think that that's anything we should shame. But yet again, as we were talking about in earlier segments, we have these ego lists of what we're going to use to determine who's a viable partner. Oh, you live at home, not viable. What? Let's, let's, let's be better and go deeper, but even bigger than that on a social level, yeah, some people move back home. That's what some people need to do. We have to normalize that. That is part of our culture and our society letting people down. People often don't want to do that, and it's only because they don't have access to finances or jobs. We've looked at the studies that minimum wage cannot let someone even rent in any city a one-bedroom apartment. That's not okay. We don't even pay people a living wage or, again, help them get their needs met. So it's understandable that some people have to go home. Props to those that have access to that. What a great thing to be able to do. You know, some don't want it, but some are totally content with that. I love that. Sure, right now, if I was if I was able to transfer everything to the East Coast, I could see myself living with my mom. I love her. I'd love to spend time with her. It would be <clears throat> amazing right now during all of this to be able to be that close. You know, let's look at another change. Oh, uh, this is from the Washington Post. One in six, one in six Gen Z adults are LGBT. 
and they believe that this number is going to continue to rise. And again, that's not because there just happens to magically be more people from the community. It's because A, it's safer to come out. B, there's resources. C, people have community and also representation and inclusion. And so they're realizing, oh, wait a minute, what I'm feeling or thinking is a legitimate thing. Maybe I am something other than hetero, right? And I'm telling you that they did a large study on that population and more than 50%, more than half did not identify as hetero. They didn't identify as gay. They identified as pan, queer, I don't know, fluid. Yeah. Now that we have more options, people can really be more authentic and honest. I think for too long, we were too comfortable assuming that the world was so hetero, but that's not honest because there's so many options. There's hundreds of thousands of sexual orientation options. It's far bigger than just gay or straight, the binary. And we're seeing that with gender. There's millions of ways to express your gender. It's not just two options. And I love that we're pushing for a world outside the binary where we can be more of who we are. And it doesn't have to be two choices only, male or female, boy or girl. And uh, Biden's changing passports to accommodate that. Driver's license are accommodating that. This is a beautiful thing. Marriage. We saw a thruple, three people, three men on a birth certificate. Yeah, that's honest. That's real. That's what it looks like. The institutions need to meet people where they're at, not people squeezing in institutions. And remember, sexual orientation is about all the things that turn us on. It's not just about gender. Some people are solo sexed, more geared towards self-sexuality masturbation, right? I mean, that's a kick. Some people are more fetish sex, where it's not about the gender. And sexual, sexuality is always active and open. It, it's not a, we don't get to a landing point where we're like, oh, that's who I am. It's always open. We can always be growing and evolving and expanding based on experiences we have, learning more about ourselves. And there's a beauty in that, but we have to get comfortable. Just like kids boomeranging back and moving with their family. Yeah, that's right. There isn't one trajectory that you should move out of the house to reach adulthood and then stay out of the house to be an adult. Who says? Why? Most cultures don't do that. Like... Again, a lot of the norms we occupy are just American and we forget that other worlds and other cultures and other societies do it differently. And our way isn't the right way or the best way or the healthy way. It's just our standard way. And now we're learning it's not meeting the needs of people. It's not honest for a lot of people. And people want to live an honest, authentic life. And for some of them, that means cohabitating, where it's a gay couple and a straight person raising a child all together or two families in a house together. I love this. Or two sisters living together or raising a child. Or like that thruple example I love referencing. Three guys all together raising two children, all three on the birth certificate because all three are the children's fathers. That's the world we live in. I can't wait for a time when you can marry more than one person because sometimes people want to marry more than one person and an institution needs to meet the needs of people. People shouldn't have to only be with one person because that's what we've decided is acceptable for a state marital license. F that. We need to be able to live in truth, right? And so let's be more honest with who we are and what we need and support that. All right, we're going to take a break. Question of the night, as always, up on our Loveline IG page in the stories. And then, of course, we'll be closing out the show with um, a DMs. So uh, stick around. And uh, just a heads up, tomorrow's show, we're going to be spending the night because it's National Eating Disorders Awareness Month. We're going to be talking about eating disorders and uh, definitely putting a spotlight on how they show up in people that are male-identified, in men. All right, listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on a new channel, Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And uh, let's talk a little bit about a representation. I'm looking at a couple of news articles. I know you've all been, excuse me, learning about 
see his new movie and the backlash from the autistic community. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, well, I'll tie it to another article in a minute, but, um, it's interesting, very confusing to some people. So we live in a world where, uh, people don't always include a community, the people themselves in the production of a work or in the creation of a law that impacts them. And there's this really beautiful rally, uh, rally uh, cry that says nothing about us without us. If you're going to pass a law about a community, consult them. If you're going to offer resources to a community, ask them what they want and need. If you're going to make a movie about a community or an identity, include them, ask them, let them be in the right in the writer's room. This matters. This is not just about mental health. This is also about social justice. It's about inclusion. It's about representation. Otherwise, it's just performative. How does a non-autistic person have any sense of what autism looks like? Ah, yes, that's right. Stereotypes. Just like if you're trying to pass resources and systems and whatnot for people that are without a home, you need to ask them what it is they want and they need. Don't decide for them. It's also like when you see panels about racism that don't include anyone black or of color. What is going on? We need to stop having white cis hetero decisions, able-bodied, neurotypical white cis hetero people deciding for other communities how they're represented or what they need. That's very patronizing. It's very dehumanizing. And it's a form of violence and oppression. And so what's going on to see a movie is it's about autistic individuals and doesn't even have one of them in it. And the lead star is not. And <clears throat> she went the wrong route by saying maybe they're not a good actor and that's why. Like, so the whole movie is based in stereotypes, really problematic ones, and includes the use of force and restraint, which is categorically unacceptable and, excuse me, categorically unacceptable and abusive. And so autistic community members and rights activists are saying, this is unacceptable. We know better than this. And let's stop with this stereotypes being patronizing, include the individuals in the work that you're trying to create. Otherwise it's not even real or honest, Right. That's why I'm glad we're bringing more people in a writer's room. If you want to write a film about gay characters, have gay people writing it. Those are the ones that have that lived experience. Otherwise, it's some performative style. Who, who cares about a, you know, a hetero person's <laughs> vision of gay experience and vice versa? And so I'm so thankful to see black filmmakers and black writers, fat bodied and identified individuals writing stories about the fat lived experience. And then it's the final call to stop always writing films and stories about the trauma. Like I can't stand watching stories that are always rooted in the trauma. It's important for people to see that, to relate and empathize, but let's see strength and success as well. You know what I mean? Any, any uh, exploited marginalized identity, we don't always need to tell the story trauma and capitalize on that. Sometimes that can create empathy and change and growth, but sometimes it's just problematic. Now, sticking with you know change and representation, I love this one. This was in the New York Times. Ready for this one? Over 160 Confederate symbols were removed in 2020. Good, good. We don't need that sitting in the middle of a university or a public space to remind people of the violent legacy. That's a trigger. That's offensive to people that have been oppressed because these statues were not put there, let's remember, in service to remind us of the dark side of our culture. They were put there to honor and valorize the people whose likeness they are done of. So they're put there to honor the Confederacy with its racist, problematic history. They weren't put there to remind us of what we've done and how we can be better. They're glorifying. They were, they were doing it out of support. That's why we're getting rid of things like Christopher Columbus Day, because he was colonizing. He was violent. <laughs> he didn't discover anything. People lived there. You can't discover something where people are inhabiting. There were indigenous individuals that already lived there. They didn't need to be forced into the white people's way of doing things and living. 
It's like when people go to other countries forcing religion upon people. That's so patronizing. Don't force your religion and ways on another culture. The culture isn't less than, it's different. They do things differently. The way they do things is fine. It's so patronizing to go somewhere that's not yours and to think you know better for those people what it is they need. We have to get better about that. It's such an interesting time. I know Disney, Disney Plus has a couple, uh, I haven't actually seen what it looks like, but they put um, little disclaimers and have removed some of their cartoons that are problematically rooted in a lot of racist ideology and terminology. That's not entertaining. Who wants to find joy in oppressive storylines? Um, it's okay for us to acknowledge that we thought that way then and that we don't now and that it doesn't have an acceptability anymore. That's called evolution. We get better. We do better. You know, we, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's not censorship. It's trying to rewrite a wrong that they had built entertainment on mocking or on the abuse of exploited people and marginalized individuals. That's not okay. We don't want to do that. We don't want to continue to roll that forward. We don't want to normalize that. You know, we want to call that out. We can still write amazing stories and have amazing comedies that aren't oppressive. We talked about that before too, about comedy. It doesn't have to be in service of mocking, exploited, marginalized, already harmed individuals. Good comedies about people just talking about the ridiculousness of, of life or themselves. You know, there's nothing funny about putting down other people. And that's also why I always take issue with gossip. Um, a lot of entertainment news is just gossip, just really making money and sensationalizing people's struggles and hardships. As apparently we've learned from the Britney Spears documentary, which I haven't seen, but people finally are, are like, wow, I was a part of that system. Let's be better. Let's stop doing gossip columns. Let's stop talking about, you know, celebrities struggles. There, there's nothing in that for us. You know, I think we can do better. Let's actually do news and journalism. Let's actually talk about important topics, you know? And that's why I don't bring that stuff into the show. I, I, there's no place for that in mental health. That's not mentally healthy, not for us, not for them. It normalizes, you know, it's gossip. There's a difference between journalism and gossip. Gossip is excitement and sensationalism and money off of someone else's struggles and downfalls. That's none of our business. We don't have a right to know what's going on in these people's lives. It's a mess. It's not okay. Let's do better than that. Um, all right, we're gonna take a break and uh, we'll be closing out the show with some DMs. So uh, stick around. If you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And guess what? It's time for question of the night. All right, tonight's question of the night was, do you think the government officials should be held to the same standards as non-serving citizens? For example, Pelosi got her hair done during the pandemic and was roasted for it. Most recently, Ted Cruz. Ah, yes, Cancun Cruz. He went to Cancun as his state, Texas, was suffering an intense winter storm. I love this topic. It's going to bring out a lot of feelings. Um... <laughs> Yes, everyone, in my opinion, should be held to the same standards, especially people whose literal job it is to be a role model and to follow the law, but also to serve the public. They're public officials, right? They're there to serve the state, serve the country. And so if they, in their positions of power and finance, aren't able or willing, what can you expect from others? Um, God, the Ted Cruz thing was a mass memes forever. But, you know, again, that's what happens. People have a lot of feelings about it. So let's see what y'all said. Should government officials be held to the same standards as non-serving citizens? First person said, absolutely. We all need to do our part 
I mean, 100% that. We all need to do our part during the pandemic and after it. But see, I love your point, but you're also challenging toxic individualism, which a lot of people have, which is they only worry about themselves or their family or their state or their country, right? And I love what you're saying without saying it, which is we need to have more of a collective responsibility. Let, we do need to care for our community. It's called community. Let's care for others, not these arbitrary boundaries. So I love that. We need to do our part during a pandemic. We have to come together, right? <clears throat> That's vital. Someone else said uh, they should be held to a higher standard. See, I agree with that. No one forced them to take public offices. I agree. Stepping into public office ca carries with it these larger level responsibilities to model, right? To show us, to help us. That is literally their job. And if not them, who? Um, someone else said, as far as tonight's question of the night, which is, do you think government officials should be held to the same standards as non-serving citizens? Someone said, if you're going to be in the public eye, you need to do better than the rest of us, plain and simple, especially in positions of public service, <laughs> literally in its name, which is why people are upset about the police force. They're like, you're here to protect and serve. It's literally written on your cop car and literally written on your uniform and literally written on the word uh, on the wall of the station to protect and serve, not to enact violence or to take advantage of, right? We have to hold these people accountable as well as, well as we are holding ourselves and those around us. Right? That's why during the pandemic, I'm saying connect to those around you and in your community and hold them accountable. Someone else said, let them do what they want. Ah, see a different perspective. They're under constant surveillance and a mistake here and there isn't that bad. I appreciate the idea that they're humans and they should be able to make mistakes as long as they take accountability and learn and do better. I'm always here as a therapist for people's transformation and learning 100%. I just think the problem is when they're not actual mistakes and when no accountability or learning occurs. And people like Ted Cruz, I consistently see ongoing problematic behavior, truly. And so it's hard to imagine that they're mistakes. It seems to me more like poor values or ethics or just not caring or some form of exceptionalism, right? So that's my concern with that. But I appreciate your stance. We do have to let people make mistakes. Being in the public eye, you're right, constant surveillance. At some point, you're going to catch some people foul, you know, messing up. But, you know good people own that and say, wow, I didn't realize, you know, or my bad and I'll do better or whatever it is, you know, we're at a time where there's a lot of pressure around that, but I, I think there needs to be on some levels, especially government officials. Um, someone else said it's really hard to see people not living up to the same standards as the rest of us. We're struggling. We're going through things daily and they have no idea or even want to care about it. And I appreciate that, right? A lot of them are very wealthy, have a lot of resources as per why, Ted Cruz was able to just hop on a plane and take his entire family down to Cancun and stay in a really nice resort. Like a lot of the people in Texas had no means. And so they had to go without not just electricity and heat, but also access to food and water while some people's houses were literally flooded and the ceilings caving in from pipes bursting and then getting outrageous electric bills that they can't afford. Like that's a mess. And so it's really hard for them to watch someone like Ted Cruz, who lives in a very nice house, just hop on a plane and get out when he's a public official and should have been there fixing things. And then you see AOC and Beto uh, coming in and raising money. She actually flew to Texas to fundraise and to help out. Now, I'm glad Ted, uh, Ted Cruz came home and started giving out bottles of water. And people are debating, is that performative? Most likely. <laughs> I mean, the timing's a little funky. Definitely got those photos out there. So, um, but let's definitely at least hold ourselves and our community members accountable. We have to do better. We have to stop thinking uh, so individualistic and with uh, such high levels of exceptionism where, you know, some people think they're better or above other people or other things. Nah, no one's better than anyone else. I don't care what your title is, your job is, your financial income is. Everyone should be treated the same, period. Honestly, that's why I don't like some of these monikers of like, sir, 
your honor, uh, all those words. It's like, nah, we're all, we're all the same. We all deserve respect. Let's normalize that. But people in positions of public, um, public roles and duties will, will, will be captured and documented. I mean, that's what's going on with all these cameras and it's led to some really important changes in the, uh, carceral system. So I'm here for some of it, but you're right. People need to be able to make mistakes. If what they've actually done is truly a mistake. All right. So question of the night as always is up on our Loveline IG page that is in the stories. Uh, we're not doing that every night, but we're doing it a couple times throughout the week. So weigh in on that. The new one is up and, uh, coming up next, we'll be sliding in those DMS. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMS on our Loveline IG page. Any question you got, most likely someone else is maybe struggling or could benefit from it. So drop it in there. And uh, tomorrow's show, we'll be focusing on eating disorders because it's National Eating Disorders Month. And uh, we will be paying attention to the increase in uh, people that are male, male identified uh, with eating disorders. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we're back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. This one's to say, Dr. Chris, I have an 11 year old son, Charles, who wants a phone. Bum, 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 bum. It may be time to get him a phone. However, I just don't personally feel ready. It may not even have anything to do with him. How can I get over the fear of my internet for the child? Well, it's understandable you have some fear. So I don't think it's about getting over our fear. I think we need to. What you then choose to do about that fear is another thing. But yeah, the internet's an interesting place. There's a lot on there, you know, and people do take advantage of it. Um, and your son now has with, with, you know, with access to internet will come in contact with a lot of things that prior generations didn't have to, that's not necessarily bad. You know, current generations are a little more mature and a little more intelligent because they've had access to more, you know, and remember access to something isn't necessarily permission giving either just because someone encounters something online doesn't necessarily mean they, they step into it and do it or become it. Right. Sometimes it's just experiential and educational. So. I think some of the fear is unwarranted. I think some of it's very warranted and that's okay. Be fearful, but decide how you want to live. We don't, we can be afraid and decide we're not going to live from it and say, I'm going to do this anyway. Cause we have choice. We have choice over every decision we make and we don't have to honor our feelings. We often step into anxiety and fear, you know? So I'm not going to tell you whether or not 11 is the right age. I don't know. I don't know your son's maturity, you know, and I don't know how involved you'll be, but I would say if you're going to give a child a phone, be involved, let them know you're going to share the phone, let them know you're going to have access to it. Not as a punishment, not because you don't trust them, but because you want to be a good parent. And that means being, uh, being a part of their experience of what they encounter. You want to be there to talk about what they're looking at, what they're seeing. You also want to take loving, teachable moments so they can learn boundaries and self-protection, right? Because that's part of what having a cell phone requires. And being a good parent is being involved. Not every website or IG account is for children. I had a good friend who said that, Amber Rose. She was like, my page isn't for kids. Be a good parent. Make sure your kids are not on my page. I'm not going to watch what I post in service of making sure children don't see it. You're an adult. Be aware of what your kid's doing. Don't just hand them a phone and let them run off. So I think giving a child a phone is you have control over when they have and what they're looking at lovingly so they can learn. You sit down with them when they have it and you take it back when they don't. Maybe you give it to them if they're going to go outside so they have safety. I don't know. You decide. I'm not a parenting expert, but... I, I think that the fear is necessary, makes sense. I think we don't necessarily have to live from the fear. And I think it's important for you to be a, a, a really involved person in their use of the phone so they can understand and, and also learn boundaries and communication and avoid certain pitfalls. A lot of things can happen, you know? So I appreciate the question. I think parents are nervous about a lot of things. The internet, 
again, has introduced children to a lot of things, but often it's that the parents aren't ready to have to talk about these things, and you have to. And generally, at some point, it always becomes about sex. I'm afraid the websites will go to, why? Sex-based, right? It's, that's usually what it is. Or conversations, why? Sex-based. And so, yeah, part of this means you have to talk to your 11-year-old about sex, and you should be talking to your kid from birth in age-appropriate ways about sex. The minute they're born, we start talking about it in different ways. And here's another time. If you want a phone, you have to be willing, you say to your child, to talk to me and to involve me in what comes up, you know? But this is where you get to bond, right? This is where you get to share what you've learned. And you might need to do some work on your own beforehand. You know, there's a lot of great resources out there. Sex Positive Families is one of my favorite. Go on there. Learn how to talk to your kid about sex. Learn what the wording is. Learning the age appropriateness. Go on that site. It'll hold your hand through. But that's part of it. Because people's fears about the internet and phones are usually tied to sex. Always. You know? And so now that now you have an opportunity to talk about it. All right, that is that. Um, coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to be spending the whole session, the whole session, the whole show, talking about eating disorders because it's National Eating Disorder Awareness Month. So we're going to talk about toxic diet and toxic gym culture, right? Ways to also participate in building a healthier relationship with your body, exercise, and food because it's um, it's an issue and it affects every gender. So we will be looking at how the male gender is impacted by that because some people think that men don't have eating disorders and oh, they do. So we talk about that. I uh, hope you spend the rest of your night focusing on self-care, tons of joy and pleasure and as much rest as possible. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you can do so by going to wearechannelq.com. Scrolling down, you'll see a love line. Click on it. They're all there. And if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page, which is also where our question of the night lives in the stories. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night.